Okay, so welcome to the K Film Podcast. Uh, today, I'm delighted to say I've got Rob Savage with me, um, who pretty much everyone will know at the moment because of Host coming out on Shudder um, in the last few weeks and becoming a bit of a phenomenon. Um, but obviously, Rob's done loads of other stuff as well. Um, I mean, you, you were the, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, you were, sorry, I should say welcome to the show, first of all. Oh, no, thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. um, you were, Am I correct in remembering that you're the youngest ever Biffa winner for strings? Yeah, I was 18, 18. I mean, it's pretty much, pretty much 10 years to the, to the day that we started filming strings that we made host it was a 10 year 10 year gap between that movie and this one. Oh wow it's kind of wild i think we first started talking to each other around the time you were doing absence which was i think was about 2015 five six years ago yeah 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 that was kind of when i started getting into horror you did dawn of the death which um which i know you're developing as a feature which was which was a massive um massive hit and that that went to sundance and all and sickers i think as well and all sorts of places and yeah yeah and that was brilliant um and then of course you did salt with um with alice Lowe as well and then and then most recently uh most recently host and i know you've done some stuff in between that i know you've worked with yeah. david david lemon that i've worked with before as well obviously on yeah um, yeah and the sky the sky horror pilot and um is that what you guys worked yeah. together on yeah we did a crazy i, I, I yeah I, it's 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 a shame that it didn't get picked up because i thought it was really cool but we basically did a, a a hybrid between a kind of um between like a hidden camera show and a horror movie where we we got we got a guy to um we got a guy to to come to this like this free trial of a of a new yoga wellness retreat and we were like trying to we were trying to see how much weirdness we could throw at him before he realized that he joined a cult like a demon worshiping cult and we got and we got him over the course of a day we got him to the point where he was like willing to sacrifice one of the other one of the other members of the of the uh of the yoga cult to a demon and uh, and then we rushed in <laughs> and then we rushed in with our cameras and said it's just a it's just a prank that's brilliant Oh yeah, no, that's a real shame that didn't get um, picked up. I remember talking to David about it. He said he said that it was um, it was really fun to watch it getting getting put together. It's really it was really good. I mean, I think like Sky Sky did Sky Sky bought it. They picked it up. They just did. They just didn't commission it to series. So um, it's a shame. It's floating out there, but I don't think anyone will ever see it unless Sky decide. You know, if 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 the drought of uh, material continues, maybe Sky will put it on. But um, you know, maybe now after host as well. You know. Maybe, yeah. maybe, and you did, um, and you've done some Britannia as well, I think, haven't you? you? You did a block on that, is that right? Yeah, I did a couple of episodes of that. I think it was two, three years ago, um, which was yeah, which was which was really good fun. I mean, probably as far in the opposite direction as host as as possible. It was you know big battle scenes and lots of extras and and period and all that kind of stuff. But um, you were talking about strings, which is my first my first feature, which which I made ten years ago. I mean, I was seventeen when I made it, and it got it got picked up by Vertigo Films ultimately for distribution and Vertigo made Britannia this big Roman epic series. So it's the same producers, you know, it, it, it took took 10 years for us to work together again, but it was, or thereabouts, but it was really nice to actually go back and, and know the producers and have this long, long-term long relationship with them. It, so even though it was this big show and it, there was all this money behind it, they were, they kind of just let me do my own thing and they were really trusting and it was, it was a really fun uh experience you know for for big budget tv where normally as a director you you probably don't get that much sway but um yeah that's cool uh, i got to have a lot of fun on that one so tell us a little bit talk talk us through a little bit about host i know you probably uh, you probably talked out with hosts because you've done so much press no, for no, it, no. But, um i mean 
we were talking just before we started the podcast and and it it kind of it was kind of born out of this essentially a prank that you guys that you did on on twitter is that right it was totally a prank yeah it was you know kind of like everyone i was hanging out with with my friends on zoom and doing zoom happy hours and quizzes and netflix parties and all that kind of stuff and um and I had before lockdown genuinely been hearing like weird noises from from my attic. It was the one space in my apartment that I hadn't checked out yet because uh, I didn't have a stepladder. I just moved in, and and I'd wake up at like three in the morning and hear like footsteps going from one corner of the attic to the other. And it was, um, yeah, it was kind of freaky. But but I don't know for some reason. I guess I'm I I'd be the stupid character in a horror movie that dies first because I just didn't check it out. I didn't think to go up there until lockdown started. And then lockdown started and I kept hearing these noises and I was like, oh, fuck, maybe maybe there's a serial killer living in my attic and I'm locked down with him. So uh, so I went up that I went, I borrowed a stepladder from my next door neighbor, went up there. There wasn't a serial killer living there, but the attic was creepy as shit. And I was like, OK, well, I can do something with this because uh, and, and I'd been telling my friends as well about these noises. So I got on a Zoom call. I didn't tell them I'd already been in the attic. And I said, you know, I need you here for emotional support. Let's all let's all go up there on a Zoom call. Um but what they didn't know is I constructed this kind of like this this thing out of cardboard and sticky tape that 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 that, that I kind of attached to my laptop. This contraption that, that meant that I could be filming, uh, I could be on Zoom on my phone, and then with a bit of kind of clumsy sleight of hand, I could put my phone into this cardboard slot in front of my laptop and film my laptop screen without them knowing that they they were watching pre-recorded footage. So I. I took them up into the attic and as I as I went up into the dark of the attic I slotted my camera in front of the laptop and pressed play on this clip from the, a movie called Wreck which is a found footage movie where somebody goes into an attic which looks just like mine and has a has a zombie child jump out at them and, and eat their face off so so my friends thought that they'd seen in real time me get attacked by this weird creature living in my attic and um that's brilliant and of course I filmed it all and put it on Twitter and and it kind of it kind of blew up. It got like millions of views and got shared all over the place. And um, y- you know, we really thought that was going to be the big thing of lockdown is is having this viral video. Um, and the, you know, the, the interesting thing was because because nobody, well, a lot of people hadn't seen the movie Wreck that I stole the clip from. They kind of thought that I I don't know I don't know what they thought, but they thought that it was it was more of a short than a prank. They thought that I'd made this the whole thing and and somehow somehow got a zombie child you know despite lockdown to to come and be in this little short film and um so a lot of but a lot of tv companies and kind of thinking it was a short film rather than a prank called started calling me up and we're like we've saw we've seen your short film we've seen what you can do in lockdown yeah you know we're looking for material like this because nothing can be shot this you know this was kind of a month into lockdown it's kind of the height of you know when it when it kind of looked like we'd be locked down till the end of the year so we got all these companies calling and um you know i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of always up for a challenge so i said yeah okay we well, you know we can do a we can do a longer version of this how about a feature film version and we started to kind of throw ideas around oh so so it it kind of came out of all of the interest that was getting picked up from the from the prank and from all of the companies yeah, yeah. that with you okay i'd yeah i'd love to say that it was something like an idea that that I had, but it was an, like it was an idea that got bought to us by another another TV company that we kind oh, okay, of um, okay. we kind of ran with. That's brilliant to hear how you did it though, because I, I I was I was going to ask you because I had no idea. I was I, I I thought I assumed the same thing stupidly, you know, that you'd somehow 
got some zombie child into you know to to be in your attic during the middle of lockdown. I was like, how did he how did he do this? But I didn't realize yeah. that, that was that's that was ingenious though. You know, using the using the clip from Wreck and just sort of setting it up like that so that you're on the phone and on the, on yeah, the laptop. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It took a lot. It took a lot of practice. I basically spent a day just like practicing the move with my phone, like putting my putting my thumb in front of the camera for a second while I while I uh, transitioned it in front of the laptop. Yeah. And did did anyone that was um, that was on the call with you actually know about it, or was it completely? Yeah. Jed. So so Jed, who's um, who's who's you know somebody I somebody I work with with a lot on these these horror films. I showed it to him first, and. Um, and I did a little practice run for him and he gave me some pointers about when, you know, when to do the transition and that kind of thing. So he, he was on the call. He was kind of goading everyone into, into coming on and recording and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then I also, I, I tested it on my girlfriend, Kate, the, the night before. And, uh, and she almost had a heart attack. She almost called the police. I had to get, I had to jump up and stop her from <laughs> after she dialed nine, nine. That's so cruel. So you didn't tell her in advance. You were just you were just playing it and seeing how she would. No, no, no. They they genuinely thought they genuinely thought I was going to investigate a strange noise. That's so brilliant. That's so great. (laughs) And then that that developed into I mean that developed into hosts. And am I right in thinking it was Jed just texted you like four in the morning or something with like two words. Like- basically basically you know Jed, jed's always the first person i call whenever there's a horror like i've got a horror idea because he's yeah. he's basically he's basically the horror community incarnate he's just what well, he just watches every single horror movie and not you know knows his stuff more than anyone anyone i know and uh so i called him up and said you know i want to do a want to do a feature feature film set on zoom a horror movie and we threw around some ideas there's some stuff we've been wanting to we've been wanting to do before we'd always, we'd always wanted to do a kind of seance movie or a you know kind of roller coaster haunted house movie. Yeah. And um and we had a chat and then and then and we called it a night. I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and yeah and at four in the morning uh Jed had se- just sent me two words, Zoom seance. And it was like, yeah, great. Simple simple as that. Um Yeah, it's a really really great great pitch though. It's a great premise. Such a simple yeah. idea, but you know, especially in the height of everyone using Zoom. Yeah, exactly. And I think we we you know, we were, we were really keen to like we were using this very, you know, very modern, very, you know, of the moment format. And we wanted to combine that with something a bit more classic, you know, like, you know, like a seance, that kind of, we wanted that kind of classic haunted house trope to be there so that it wasn't, um, it wasn't too kind of, over, too kind of overwhelming for people. It had that, it, we, were, it, we were kind of rooting it in something familiar while also doing something a bit different with it. It sounds like a similar kind of high concept pitch for the the project that you're doing with Studio Canal as well. You know, kind of yeah, conjuring, yeah. conjuring meets a kind of prison movie. Conjuring behind bars. Behind yeah, bars. That's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we, that's kind of what we tend to do. I mean, me and Jed basically, um, the way that we come up with movies is, we, you know, we'll normally just go to the pub and have a pint and talk like just kind of, talk about what movies we'd want to see that, that don't currently exist and that's basically it we're both huge horror fans and we both know what we're not seeing or what we think could be pushed further and um you know and, and we we tend to try and we tend to try and come up with horror ideas that you can pitch in a sentence because i think most most of the best horror movies they're so primal that you almost you almost want to have that you almost want to hit on that idea that that people almost innately know you almost don't even need to say it like that's you know that's why something like it follows is such a great movie because it's the rules of it follows are so simple and intuitive that yeah. people almost people almost get it just from the title you know um and uh, so we're always trying to like if if you can explain it in like two three words even better 
so yeah zoom zoom seance conjuring behind bars it's like something that that kind of immediately kind of evokes the movie we're we're trying to make in as short a time as possible did you guys Um, do something similar with dawn of the death or well jed yeah the very first time I, i mean i've known jed for about i don't it must be like seven eight years now and the very first time i met him even before we started collaborating on on films uh he pitched me dawn of the death it's it's something that he's been sitting with for a long while and um i'm a huge zombie fan like the romero movies were just huge for me and um and i've been looking you know i've been looking to try and find a zombie movie concept to to do and to get excited about but it's such a well-worn genre yeah. that you you really need to find something that's going to make it unique and and um and it's going to give you opportunities to play all those familiar scares in a different way. And then Jed, Jed pitched me this idea, this this great fully formed idea about uh, an infection that spread through sound, where only the only the deaf community survive and have to fight these reanimated bodies of the hearing people. And that you know, it's amazing. I know, you know, like I've got I've got I've got deaf people in my family, and I've always wanted to do something touching on the deaf community as well. So it's it it was kind of. Yeah, I mean, it was it was something that as soon as he pitched it to me, I was like, "Oh fuck, I've got to I've got to try and make that movie," I, you know. And we 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 started working on that a while back, just kind of throwing ideas around for it, until eventually we got you know we got a bit of money to make the short film. It's it's I mean, it's, it's a great it's again it's a, a great concept, a great idea, a great spin on the the kind of classic Romero sort of style of um, zombie yeah. flick. It, it kind of it kind of reminds me as well. It's got shades of Pontypool in it, which which it reminds me love of a Pontypool. Bit as well. Yeah, which which, yeah. I, which which is another which again I love you know which is a brilliant film. But that's probably I'd say Pontypool's probably the best zombie movie of the last. Is it still in the last ten years? I don't know. In the last however many years, I think it's about the last ten years. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I just think that's it that's an, such an ingenious idea oh, such a great idea such a great idea for a single location movie as well you know yeah like, yeah brilliant brilliant location to shoot something in all right yeah well that well that, i mean dawn of the death was brilliant because obviously that took you to sundance and you know um and that must have been I mean, yeah that must have been a a big one in terms of opening up opportunities as well because I, I remember at the time that got a lot of press yeah yeah i mean i think it was you know it was a big one because it opened us up to the American market in a big way. Um, we'd made other kind of short horror movies over here that had done, they'd done Fright Fest and London Film Festival. And, and, um, and I think there's a slight, there's a slight kind of, um, people are kind of trepidatious about doing horror movies here in, here in the UK, or I think it takes, it takes a little bit more to make a, to make a splash here in the UK. Cause we're slightly, sniffy sometimes about horror movies but you know obviously in, obviously in the states there's a huge infrastructure that, that um that supports those kind of films and uh getting dawn of the deaf into sundance and you know and subsequently being able to sign with you know a u.s manager and that op- that opened me up to go to la and pitch around la and um that was a, that you know that was that was a big that was a big deal because i think you know i think the kind of movies that i that i make or you know or at the time that i wanted to make are more suited to that to that market you know it, it, the filmmakers filmmakers that i'm inspired by filmmakers like james wan and people who are you know making these kind of big fun scary hollywood horror movies uh so was, you know so 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 dawn of the death really opened us up to to that world and that you know and then from there after doing that first trip to um after doing that first trip trip to the states and 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 meeting some american companies I was really keen to show that you know, you know so Dawn, so Dawn the Deaf, I guess for those, for people for people who haven't seen it, is quite a kind of character led 
um, short film that sets up the concept and is very much kind of proof of concept for the feature film we want to make. Uh, it spends a lot of time with the characters at the beginning. It's very kind of, um, it's very kind of intimate and, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not art housey, but it's, but it's certainly kind of weighted towards, towards the, um, the characters. And it's still, it's still got this huge response from the horror audience, but at the same time, I also wanted to show that I could do those kind of, um, those kind of big, scary, roller coaster ride set pieces that, that that a filmmaker like James Wan is known for uh so I so off the back of Sundance I, uh, me and Jed came up with this idea for a for a movie called Salt which is a, a which is a movie about a yeah a, a demon that's repelled by by salt and who you can you can kind of evade by by encircling yourself with salt um and it's you know we we got a bit of money from from Fox uh you, you know I I'd, I'd met a Fox exec at, at Sundance and they gave us the money to make it and that was really my bid of saying, you know, I can I can work on the level of of these uh, these Hollywood filmmakers, and I can do something that's much more visceral. So that I think that combined Dawn, like Dawn of the Deaf with its character work combined with Salt and its um, set piece, you know, with more set set piece driven approach between those two movies, I think we were, we were able to gain a lot of traction. Those were obviously films that you wanted to do, but it was it was quite tactical in the, the way that you approached them, which was, which yeah. was interesting. I mean, Salt is, is Salt again. It's 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 brilliant. Partly, but one of the things that I love about Salt as well is it's so it's so short and snappy, but it just it just mm. works and it feels like a complete story, you know. And um, and you don't need any setup to it whatsoever, you know, because it's su- yeah. again, it's such a visual and such a visceral setup, you know. This idea that of this demon that's repelled by Salt that that you mm. can just show the whole thing visually in in a couple of seconds and people get it. Yeah, that's totally it. And again, again, I think that speaks to. Um that speaks to what's so exciting about horror and what, like why I, why I love the genre and want to want to, to stay working in the genre is I think it's, I think it's one of the only mediums where people where just general audiences will accept pure cinema as, as, as part of the experience. You know, the fact that, that the fact that most of the movie is going to be led by visual storytelling, it's, you know, that in classic kind of Hitchcockian style, you know, you'd never you you'd get audiences walking out if you made a rom com that only had you know a couple of lines of dialogue in it, but but you watch a movie like A Quiet Place with a you know packed packed audience on a Friday night and they love it and they're leaning into it and I think that's what's so exciting to me about the medium is that it's a it's the it's the visual communication of ideas and and being able to kind of push that as much as possible is always something that I'm keen to do. That comes across completely within the stuff that you do as well that it's that you're very um you're very motivated by visual storytelling but i think mm. one of the other things to that which which is which is also very relevant for horror films of course and and for your films and i notice this particularly on dawn of the deaf is just how meticulous the sound design is on it as well because of course that's yeah. it. and a quiet place is a great example of that of, of I mean, that's probably mm. one of my favorite one of my favorite films of the of, of of this century purely because the sound design is so brilliant and sound design gets so, so often overlooked you know by particularly yeah. by directors quite often you know they just mm. they're, they're they're so preoccupied with the visual side that the sound design just becomes kind of secondary but i think yeah. with dawn of the deaf in particular i noticed that you know there was a lot of attention paid to a very meticulous sound design sometimes the sounds that were on screen but also sometimes the silence and the use of silence mm. as is kind of classic in horror um yeah but talk a little bit about that because how 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 important is that to you as a filmmaker how do you how do you sort of incorporate that into the process when you're making films i mean it's so it's especially in horror movies sound design is is super important and it's and it's it's important because it 
it, it you know it, it supports but it also enhances the visual storytelling so it's it's what it's kind of one and the same and i you know i work really closely with the sound designer callum sample who's done um he did he did salt and dawn of the deaf and absence and he did host as well and um you know to like to go back to host it was it, it was it was a really interesting process figuring out the sound design on that movie because we weren't allowed to, well, we weren't, not that we weren't allowed, but like one of the stipulations from, from me was that we didn't have any score or anything that wasn't existing within the Zoom call. But at the same time, we had um, we had to take the audience on the same journey that a, that a piece of music would. We had, to, we had to build up the tension. We had to release it with a scare and a jump. And, um, you know, it, and it's, it's tricky to find justified diegetic sounds to do that so so what we did me and me and brenna ranga the amazing editor on on host we actually in the rough cut we actually scored the movie with mute with with music and risers and all the kind of sound effects you'd expect from a horror movie and then we sent that to callum uh we sent that to callum and said look this is how it needs to feel now let's figure out diegetic ways to, to to get this same feeling so we kind of used the music as a kind of a, a, a template um and callum was able to do brilliant work with glitch, glitches and distortion and um and atmospheres to get us there that's really that's that's a really interesting way of doing it so you you were basically using music you you were kind of you were kind of doing a a sound spotting session but but using music in place of the actual sound design exactly exactly yeah because i tr- like i'm trying to um one of the ways that I'm always, that I'm trying to push myself recently is um, is in is in is in kind of having the audience at the forefront of my mind with every with every decision, and it's really, um, you know, it's, it, I, like I've, I've been not to kind of jump around, but like a, there's this there's this movie that we're developing with with Sam Raimi that we've been developing for for a while and um, for the last few months, and working with Sam the big lesson that I've taken from working with Sam is about always, always having audience in the forefront of your mind and always thinking about what, what their experience is going to be. And re- you know, it was, it was really fun to be able to to put that into practice on host. And that was always my thought process and, um, and being able to do that with the music and the sound design and being able to plot through exactly how we wanted the audience to feel by using the music and then to translate that into sound design. Um, it, you know, it's just a really interesting way of thinking about it. Uh, and not you know and 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 it kind of gets you out of the potential traps of um you know work, working working on things that are only going to be noticed by you and a handful of film savvy you know people people watching but actually actually having the emotional experience of the audience in the in the forefront of your mind can you elaborate on that a little bit more just just i'm thinking for people that are listening to this you know because i think that's a really important point to make but how so how how do you go about doing that in a practical sense how do you go about sort of making that shift so that you know in terms of executing the work whilst having the audience in the forefront of your mind i think i think the thing is to just before you go into any scene i tend to i tend to make a little note to myself about what the job of the scene is and what the what the the overriding um like emotion we want the audience to feel is um and then every decision you know like on host i had it on a little uh post-it and i'd attach it to my laptop as we were doing that you know whatever scene we were doing so i'd be able to kind of just have that in the corner of my eye and every bit of direction would kind of be filtered through that you know it's kind of sub- subconsciously but it, but i kind of i'd kind of done that done that work beforehand to just think about think about where i wanted the audience at each, at each beat of the movie and um 
and I, you know, I think what I used to do a lot is, um, you know, because, because I like to be, because I like to be visual because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite driven by that. I'd sometimes make decisions that were based more on the aesthetic of the movie rather than the experience of, of you know, the audience would have making uh, watching the movie. And, um, you know, and I think, I think, you know, it, it, it's also become, it's become the main way in which I collaborate with, with people is, is, um, I talk to them about the feeling that I want the audience to have. And rather than coming, like I used to, I used to be very prescriptive and I'd come in and I'd have all my storyboards, you know, written out and I'd say to the DP, this is what we're shooting. And then this, this hands over to this next shot and this is how it's going to be edited. And I've got, I do a bit of that still. And I, you know, I, I storyboard quite extensively, but what I tend to do now is I'll have that as almost a safety net. So I know we can fall back on that, but I'll, I'll, I'll speak to my heads of department and I'll say, this is what we want the audience to feel. I'm thinking this might get us there, but but I speak to all the HODs knowing that they've got a set of skills and a toolkit to to help help us achieve this um, this objective, and they can throw in ideas and they can they can um, they can kind of help us get there. And it just it puts everyone in the right mindset, I think, and and even working with the cast in the same way. You know, I, I kind of. Um, I, I kind of like to talk to talk to my cast as though they're their heads of department as well that you know that, that, that they they've also got a set of skills that I that I know you know I I I understand a little bit but I but I'm, I'm can't possibly I don't have the same resources that they do and, and they've got these amazing skills that are able to to help us achieve this shared goal so I'll, you know on host I'd say you know well the feeling is the feeling I want from this scene is whatever that that um you know that the, uh, the the you know the fun and games are subsiding, and I want that I want the audience to kind of um, to start to start to feel that feel the tension building in here, and they, and you know, and then the cast would be able to play that. They'd be able to 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 dial back the banter and, and start to um, start to take it a bit more seriously. And, and it's just it's it just it's just a really fun way of working because it makes everyone feel super collaborative, and um, and that you know host specific host all movies are super collaborative and and there's you know there's 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 been this kind of myth of the 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 one figurehead at the at the top of the movie for forever and it, and it's and you know it's always been bullshit but it's but it's host host even more so it just just kind of disproved that that nonsense by you know we 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 totally authored this movie together made this movie together everyone threw in ideas and it was such a fun experience doing it that way uh, and the movie's so much better for it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it speaks volumes about you as a director. The fact that you're, well, a, a that you that you're you're not precious about about your own ideas, but also the, the you know to to the to the extent that you're willing to just collaborate and let and bring in everyone else's creativity. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it is it's such a collaborative process and obviously mm. the uh, the ideal i think i can't remember who it was that said someone said to me once which i thought was the best advice ever is that you always want to hire people in the, the specific roles whether it's hod's or cast that, mm. that that basically know more than you do about the individual's skill sets yeah. that you're doing you know you want you want to be surrounded by people that are smarter than you in their own individual yeah. area you know so that you can exactly utilize it. exactly and i think somebody I, I can't remember who who said this to me, but but the, the, this is this is the best advice I've ever I've ever got about directing. Which somebody said, um, you know, your job as director is to know what is the movie and what isn't the movie because you'll get every you you want to invite everyone to throw ideas at you, but ultimately you're the person that says that's a great idea, but that's a great idea for a, for a different movie. That's that's not yeah. the tone that we that's not the tone that we're hitting. You know, you're kind of everything's being filtered through your 
your taste essentially because it's all taste it's all subjective but your job is to know what the movie feels like and to to be able to like be an antennae for all those other ideas but then just just put them out into one cohesive whole um, yeah, yeah absolutely i think it was kubrick that said that a director is a taste machine and that's basically yeah. what they do is yeah. just sort of just like you say just a filter you know you, you you have ideas thrown at you constantly you obviously you've got your own ideas but you're also having collaborative ideas thrown at you and you're just saying yep that's good yep nope nope yep yep yeah. that's great no that's that's not quite right and just yeah yeah exactly it through. yeah and i think it's a really it's a really kind of um what's the word it's 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 a damaging thing i think to think of to think of the director as as the as the author because it because it means that a lot of directors you know especially especially when you're starting out and i was the same think that that every idea needs to come you know in this very pure way from your own from your own brain and that that, that any you know that, that 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 bringing anyone else's ideas in is a kind of contamination of that that um you know being an auteur and it's and it's just a really it's a really backwards way of thinking about it do you, do you listen to um you must remember this the podcast yes yeah yeah have you listened to the last one about about Polly Platt and Peter Bogdanovich? No, I haven't. I haven't listened to that one. There's this great series about about their their collaboration and Peter Bogdanovich, um, basically wanting to be seen as the sole author, but but clearly being a co-author with 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 Polly Platt, um, you know, who who made the first few movies with with him, and uh, and how how his movies suffered when he uh, when they separated and stopped working together, and he he you know was trying to uh, trying to go out alone as a as a as a you know a single auteur um but it's a really great deconstruction of that whole myth of uh of the the you know that's specifically that kind of that kind of um you know authoritative male auteur you know genius writer director yeah yeah well that's i i think i mean you're absolutely right and it and it's 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 no coincidence when you look at great filmmakers as well that they tend to that a lot of them tend to work with the same people again and again you know whether it's teaming up mm. with cinematographers producers actors yeah. whatever because you find a team of people that you work well with and you want to just keep doing work with them because that produces the best work because you're all you're all collaborating yeah. really effectively yeah yeah and the best thing about doing doing host i mean even if the movie had turned out rubbish and there was a really big chance that it that it that it would it, part of the part of the appeal part of the fun was was making this movie with my friends because every everyone who worked on this movie they're all people who I've worked with before they're all people who I hang out with and chat to every day and um that's you know that was such a joy and it's and I think it started us out way ahead of what a normal you know normal film production you 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 spend the first week or so just feeling everyone out and kind of getting a sense of where everyone's sitting and and you know figuring out what your dynamic is but we totally knew what our dynamic was we totally were able to be open with each other and um you know and and, and honest and uh you know i think that's i think the movie would the movie would be much weaker if we'd have made it in a in a more conventional way yeah and then that must have made communicating with them all you know during the shoot a lot easier as well just because you you've got that sort of relationship with them so you know each other that well yeah i don't think it would have been possible without without collaborating with our friends on this one because you know so much of it was a process of figuring this shit out it was like uh you know I, like i'm pretty you know i like i like to i like to keep trying at something until it's right basically and, and that's my you know that's my approach it's not to 
just not to say that's good enough and move on and and you know everyone who's worked with me everyone who's worked with me knows that knows that and knows that I'm not going to say good enough and so you know part of it was part of it was working with these guys and and trying stuff out and and well that didn't work let's try it a different way well you know let's especially you know especially especially in a horror movie where so much of it is about the timing of the scares and the you know the uh the you know there's so many little little nuances that go to making an effective scare scene it's all about pacing and framing and all this kind of all this kind of stuff that usually you'd be able to be there and be very prescriptive about on the day when you're working with your dp but since everyone was having to shoot it remotely um there was a lot of uh a lot of time spent on those scenes and you know and i don't think any other any other actors would have put in the amount of time asked of them uh, that these guys did and they you know because they were teaching themselves all these different disciplines essentially mm. well i mean that must have been a challenge in itself just directing it remotely everyone working remotely and performing you know in isolation yeah. essentially whilst whilst all sort of being contact, yeah. you know connected through zoom yeah yeah it was um i basically spent like a week leading up to the shoot i spent a day with each of the cast going through all of the stuff all of the stuff that that was kind of um uh all the stuff that they needed to do on top of their performance that they wouldn't usually be asked to do. So going through the different lighting setups, locking down where the, which lamps would be turned on at which point to give the different, you know, uh, different feels for different scenes, you know, what their framing would be like, what their blocking would be, mark, you know, marking out their positions for each of the scenes, that kind of thing. Do, you know, we did a bit of, a bit of backstory work and kind of went through the script and did some character stuff. But, but, but the main thing I wanted to do in that, in that week building up to the shoot was get them to kind of feel feel confident enough in the other roles so that when they got there on the day shoot you know recording their sound lighting themselves doing doing their own makeup in, on certain occasions um all of these things were kind of second nature and they could almost it could almost be like a muscle memory that they wouldn't have to think about so that then they on the day they could just concentrate on their performance because i you know i was really i was really worried that you'd get that kind of you know, have I forgotten my car keys kind of look on their faces while they're trying to figure out, you know, am I in lighting setup one or two and where's my camera supposed to be? And like, so we did a lot of, we didn't rehearse in a conventional way. I don't like, I don't like to over rehearse performance, but we, we, we rehearsed blocking lighting, uh, you know, how we, how we, the process of recording, all of that stuff. We, we rehearsed that a lot. So it was, it was kind of second nature by the time we started filming. Okay. Yeah. So, so as, as long as the technical stuff is just second nature, then then they can, they can just focus on performing and improvising in the exactly, moment. Exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about strings a little bit. Cause, um, sure. Strings was your, was your, your debut feature film and you made it when you were 17, which is, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's completely different type of movie so what what sort of i i know it's always hard to sort of go back but where 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 were you at at that point as a filmmaker and what was it that that inspired you to start off with that kind of movie it was um i mean i wasn't a filmmaker at all really i mean i you know i grew up in i grew up in shropshire in the middle of the countryside like none of my you know my family of farmers don't like none of them are none of them are in the film industry so i didn't really know much about how you got into the film industry i didn't know for instance that that you made short films before you went on to make features. So it wasn't even something that occurred to me to make a short film um, as, as my first kind of endeavor. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and so it was really as simple as that. I had a, I had a big long summer break lined up before I was going to university. You know, you, 
here in the UK, like like you know, you get you you do your A levels and then you get this kind of big extended summer summer break. And and my only plan really was to was to get pissed with my friends. And I thought, well, you know, I could probably do something better with my time. Um, and I had a bit of money that I'd raised just from just from savings from doing paper rounds and odd teenage jobs. I had about three thousand pounds. Um, that was, you know, it, it was meant to kind of last me through university, but I thought, okay, well, that's, that's a good budget. I mean, that felt like all the money in the world to me at the time. And, um, you know, the thing, the thing that I'm, I'm always trying to do, and, and this is, this is kind of where strings is similar to host is I'm always trying to look around at the resources I have and say, well, what's the movie I can make right this second. Let's make that rather than sitting around and waiting for the ideal circumstances to come along. Because the, you know the ideal circumstances doesn't it, it it doesn't exist. There'll always be some impediment to you making making the movie you want to make, and you've just always got to find a way around that and find creative solutions. And um, strings, like you say, it's not a horror movie. It's 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 a quite a gentle um, coming of age drama. It's a relationship drama. Um, but I looked at what I had access to, and also my own personal experience. It was it was at that time where. Um, all the, all the friends that I'd grown up with, we were all heading off to different universities and we're, you know, and, and relationships were being tested and all these kind of, all these kind of, um, all these kind of things were, were, were going on around me that ended up filtering into the movie. So we wrote this, um, well, no, I, I mean, I, it was, it was basically just me and a, and a couple of, couple of friends. I, I, I wrote it, directed it, edited it, co-produced it, um, shot it you know all basically it was just a one one man band with with a couple of people helping out and holding the microphones and um and I just figured it out as I went along and it was really stressful and it was really fun and it was basically my film school and I went you know I went to film school for 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 a year after that but 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 ended up getting kicked out and um and then just just after the after strings after strings found some success, it did some festivals and it, and it ended up winning at the British independent film awards and got on the BAFTA shortlist and, and, and got picked up for, for a release. I was able to kind of skip over. Well, you know, like I said, I was kicked, kicked, kicked out, kicked out of film school while I was making it. And, and, um, and I was able to, to basically kind of jump over the, the, the kind of, um, that, that period of having to start out as being a runner and serving people coffee and working my way up through the, through the industry, I was able to just kind of, um, jump in and start doing, uh, commercials and music videos and what, you know, whatever, like small things, but enough to, enough to, to earn a living and to, to get a flat in London and basically kind of start, uh, start out as a director in the industry. And that was, that was about 10 years ago now. Yeah, my God. Um, I mean, and it's it's. I, I I can't believe you got kicked out of film school. That's insane. That's, I got kicked that... out of film school for making a film, for making strings, because basically I'd um, I like because I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a computer at the time to edit the movie on. I didn't I didn't have a, a laptop or anything. I couldn't afford one. So I uh, so I turned up. We we shot strings on on HDV. So I turned up with this big suitcase full of HDV tapes. And I didn't really know what was on them. Like we'd just been shooting and shooting. And I went to to the university and it was like, Can I edit my movie? I've shot this feature film. And actually the first thing that the um the first thing that my my tutor, my awful tutor um at the university said was, Oh, you shouldn't have made a feature film. Nobody will want to see it. <laughs> so so that was where we started off from. And um and you know, and then and then like I managed to get them to give me the keys to the edit suite so I could edit it over, I could edit it during the night time. Yeah. While doing the lectures in the daytime. But um but I'd you know, I'd be up all night editing the movie and then 
I'd sleep in and I wouldn't go to the lectures or I'd fall asleep in the lectures. And they basically, they took away my editing privileges and basically said, you can either, you can either edit your movie or you can do the course. Um, and I said, I want to do my movie. And they were like, fine, well, you can't come, can't, can't come back. So, um, so I went and I stayed on sofas for, I stayed on sofas for a year and I, in, in London and, and I shot, uh, you know, I shot uh, like corporate videos and how, whatever I could, whatever I could get to basically afford a laptop to then edit the movie on. And then, you know, so it took me about a year to get the movie edited because I, because I didn't have a laptop. Well, it sounds like uh, you prioritize the right thing if that's their attitude to, to, film yeah, it. yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. It was really, and it was really at that, that kind of tipping point where like DSLR cameras were just coming out and, and the whole industry was, was changing because suddenly people had access to to this kind of high quality you know low cost digital um digital technology that could shoot stuff that was cinema quality and and you know movies like monsters were 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 coming out and um it, I, I think the course didn't really know how to adapt to that they were still they were still talking as though we were going to go out and shoot on 16 millimeter and and um right. it was it was just all a bit old fashioned a lot has changed in the last sort of 10 15 years massively from yeah. a, from a technical perspective um well hearing all of that you know where you sort of started with that because um i i i wouldn't have guessed that having watched strings you know i wouldn't have guessed that it was that, that it was made by someone that wasn't coming from a background where you were really cine literate and that because it's got a feel about it yeah i mean i watched a lot of movies i just didn't really know how I didn't understand how movies were made really until until we, until I started shooting that film and I, and actually it was like the I remember the the, the first day of shooting I, I basically I, I I remember I put on I put on my my DVD of Boogie Nights and I like I sat there and watched the credits and like wrote down every single job role that was in that was on the credits to Boogie Nights and I was like oh fuck we're gonna need whatever a best boy and and this and the sound guy is going to need three assistants and like and I got all my friends to come and take these like arbitrary roles and I think like the first day of shooting was a disaster because I had no idea what I was doing and 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 I had like 30 of my friends standing around with these like bullshit jobs um you know we're trying to run it like a professional film set and um and then day two, like nobody showed up and like all my friends wouldn't answer my calls or they just told me to fuck <laughs> off. And like, and basically, basically like two people stuck around who actually wanted to be there and they mm. basically took on every other role that I wasn't doing. And and we made it, it was like three people made that movie basically. And, um, and it was much better for it because it was three people who really wanted to do it and really wanted the movie to be good. And there was just a great energy going forward from, from that point. For for the for certain projects, I think it's I think it can be really helpful to strip down your, your yeah. crew and and just work with a small team of people that are really really into what you're trying to do. Yeah, you know, because because sometimes there. Yeah, I mean, obviously on a big on a on a bigger film, you need you need a full crew complement. But for some stuff, you can't. There's no reason not to. You know, there's yeah. it's not an impediment to actually getting good quality films made. You know, no, I think a I think people exactly, and I think more and more I'm kind of. I'm kind of prioritizing having the right energy on a, on a film set, which, which sounds kind of wanky, but like if you've got a small group, small group of people and you've got this mindset of we're all in it together and we all want this to be as good as possible, the film's going to be better than if you've got, you know, a hundred people who, who are just looking at their watches and want to get home, which is, which is totally fair enough on a bigger shoot that, you know, like not everyone can, can be, um, can be in it, in it for the art. I mean, it's a job at the end of the day, but, um, but trying to get, trying to trying to keep that energy that I had on strings and that you know that I I kind of found again on host is something that's really important to me and something that I'm 
you know, as I move on to, to bigger things, I'm, I'm keen to try and keep an element of that moving forward because it's, it's, um, it's where I feel most creative and, you know, film sets aren't always the most creative places, but, um, but whatever you can do to kind of give yourself a little bubble of, you know, that creative energy in the middle of all the chaos. Yeah, well, I'd like to hear a bit more about that, actually. I mean, I'm, one of the things I always like to find out when I talk to other directors is sort of how they work with with, with their actors, you know, because it's, yeah. it's such a personal experience and it's so different from director to director. You've talked a little bit about that in terms of, you know, talking to them a bit like their HODs and bringing them in to the really collaborative process of understanding yeah. what what you want the audience to feel uh, during a given scene and, and and you know letting them contribute to that how do you work with actors if you if you you get into a scene and you, you block a scene and and yeah you know, rehearse it through what kind of things do you say to actors? what how, how do you sort of work with them on a sort of day-to-day basis it depe- depends to act, act, actor to actor i mean you know some you know some sometimes that communication's just there and you feel like you can you can go and say say anything and sometimes an actor has their own process and you want to you want to kind of um you want to give them the space to to do that and not 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 kind of wedge yourself in the middle of it too much i mean it's 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 different you know i've had really good experiences and really bad experiences and i think trying to be as collaborative as possible and talk about talk about what i want what i want to feel and what i want the audience to feel i think that's always a great starting off point um because because then you know it puts it puts the onus on the actor to then say well great okay trust trust me i'll 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 get you there now leave me alone and i'll i'll you know i'll get into the headspace and i'll I'll give you that you know i know what we're going for or you know all the actor can say can say oh okay well maybe we can do this how about this you know they they can kind of open up that conversation so i always start from a point of um how do we want the scene to feel what do we want the audience to, to to feel from the scene and um and you know, but another, but another thing is like, I, I'm also quite a technical director as well, and I think it's it's uh, like I'm very uh, there's a there's a there's a balance of having an authenticity of performance, but also having it captured captured in the right way. So there's there's all there's also an element of of you know clock clock yourself around 40, 45 degrees so we can see so we can see more of your face for that moment where you're delivering the line because you know you know, you've got. I, like I'm, I, I am. I'm just quite. I'm quite technical, and I'm quite annoying. If something's, if something's not right, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go in and I'll try and adjust, and you know, and it does piss some act. It does piss some actors off, but um, but it's, it's, like my role, my role on set working with actors, I think, is just being the first audience for the movie. You know, I'm what I'm there in Video Village watching the film unfold in real time, and if I'm not feeling something or I'm not seeing something, if you know. If I'm craning my head round to try and to try and take a look at something which I think should be more, you know, front front and centre, um, I'll also go and give go and give those technical notes. And um, I I don't know. I you, I think I think you've just got to get into that space where you can you can go in and and say anything. And you, you, it's just got to be whatever your immediate reaction is. You 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 run on set and 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 say that and put put that out there and uh, and a conversation can follow. But it's not have not having to feel like you have to be too polished well that was rob savage coming onto the show to talk about his latest film host once again a huge thank you to rob for coming on the show i've had the pleasure of knowing rob for a few years now and it was great to have the opportunity to have a proper chat with him about not only hosts but also his own personal filmmaking journey i think one of the things that comes across when you listen to rob is just how incredibly down to earth and generous he is in the way that he talks about his collaborations and just film in general 
And Host is a wonderful example, not only of what is possible under immense restrictions, but also of independent horror filmmaking. It's a great film. It's available on Shudder now. Please go check it out. If you're a horror aficionado, it's an absolute must. It really deserves all of the attention that it's getting at the moment. And it's a real testament to everyone who worked on the project. That's it for now for the K-Film Podcast. We'll see you next time.